Well, the good news is perhaps that summer school is over. We've been doing a series of lessons all summer talking about basics of Christianity, and uh, this ends this morning uh, with this lesson, our series. Bad news, perhaps, is you have to go to regular school, some of you tomorrow, but most of you starting this week. So tonight we'll have a prayer service. I hope you'll come back and be with us as we pray for our teachers, for our students, for our community, for the things going on in our world, the fracture that we have going on in our society. We're going to pray for all of those things this evening, and I hope you'll be here as our elders lead us in prayer. You know, when I think about the subject of giving, I think about the little girl who learned how to tie her shoes. And upon learning how to tie her shoes, she began crying. And her dad walked into the room and said, why are you crying? And she said, well, I learned how to tie my shoes. And he said, that's a good thing, right? Are you crying because you're happy? And she said, no, I'm crying because now I'm going to have to tie my shoes for the rest of my life. And I think sometimes with giving, that's the approach that we take. At first, there may be a warm, fuzzy feeling about giving of our possessions, of our money. We feel good about ourselves. But then we realize, you know, if I'm going to be a Christian and if I'm going to be worth my salt as a Christian, I'm going to have to give the rest of my life. And we're not all that keen on giving as a whole. Some of you may be sitting there thinking, oh, great, you know, here we go. Chris is going to give us another sermon on, on giving, probably going to guilt us into trying to give more to squeeze every penny out of us that he can get. I hope by now that you understand that I'm not cut from the same cloth as Jimmy Swaggart or Jim Baker. I'm not just in it for your money. Neither are the elders. You know, sometimes when you give a sermon on giving, you're uneasy about how it's going to be received because some people are giving all that they can, and you don't want them to feel bad for not giving even more. Sometimes a sermon on giving can be misconstrued, and sometimes people can think, you know, well, they're, they're building a new building, and they're, they're going to need all the money they can get, and so therefore they're going to preach on it every three months until they get what they need. Kind of like the preacher who took up a collection. They looked at it. They didn't have enough. They passed the plate again. They said, we're going to keep passing it until we get all that we need, and uh, we're not going to do that here. In fact, to show you that we are not just in it for the money, I'm going to take a rather unorthodox approach this morning. I'm going to tell you that if you are only giving out of obligation, if you are only giving because you want to be a good little rule follower, don't give. Don't give. Because it's not doing you any good anyway. Here's the thing, God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your money. This is not about your wallet and what's in it. This is not so much about your bank account as it is your heart. And as we're going to talk about in just a few moments, I think God had a very good reason for setting it up this way. Because money can be an easy God for people. And that's why I think Jesus spoke about man's relationship to money and possessions so often in the Bible. Because he knew that money could easily take the place of faith. But when you give you take the power away from the idol of money. You give away some of your security, and that's a good thing because we don't need to put our security and our trust and our faith into something as fleeting as money. When Paul was making plans to go to Corinth to collect money for the Christians in Jerusalem, he gave instruction to the Corinthian brethren as to how to prepare for his arrival, and he told them that on the first day of the week, 
each one of you is to put aside and save as he may prosper, so that no collections be made when I come. So what Paul seems to be saying is that every member was to bring some money to the worship service. It was to be collected, and when he came, he would take it, and he would disperse it to those in Jerusalem. Now, we often use this verse as our proof text for how we are to give the first day of the week from our means. If we are committed to following apostolic teaching, then we are to contribute our money to the Lord's church every Sunday. But folks, if that's the only thing you gather from this passage, you've missed the point completely. Go a little further. Paul's second letter to the Corinthians. Again, Paul is focusing on giving. Apparently, the giving thing was a big problem for the church in Corinth. You know that they had a lot of problems, and apparently this contributing was one of them. They had started out pretty good, but they had become lax in their giving. And so Paul says this in verse 1 of 2 Corinthians 8 and following. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God, which was been given in the churches of Macedonia, that in a great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. For I testify that according to their ability and beyond their ability, they gave of their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor of participation in the support of the saints. And this, not as we had expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord as to us by the will of God. Now, if you're one of those archaic people that still have a Bible and you open it, underline that last word, that last phrase, I should say. But they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of God. Because giving is not a problem when you first give yourself to the Lord. The problems we have in giving and turning loose of our stuff or our money comes from the fact that perhaps we haven't first given ourselves to God. I believe with all my heart that when we give ourselves to God first, this giving thing won't be much of a difficulty. The Macedonian Christians or who Paul applauds and sets up as the example of giving, because they understood this. Even though they were poor, even though they were afflicted, they begged him to participate. They wanted to be involved in helping out others. Paul says to the Corinthian brethren, you need to be like that. You need to understand the attitude with which our giving comes from. Look with me at Matthew chapter 19, beginning in verse 23. And Jesus said to his disciples, Truly I say to you, it is hard for a rich man to go uh, to enter into the kingdom of heaven. Again, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom of God. When the disciples heard this, they were astonished and said, Then who can be saved? And looking at them, Jesus said to them, With people this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. Do you know what these words follow on the heels of? It comes from his encounter with the rich young ruler, the man who would not sell off everything he owned, give it to the poor, and follow after him. The man walked away sad because he had many possessions. He just wanted to know what it would take to get to heaven. Jesus tells him, because it's impossible for a rich man to enter heaven, he tells him, you've got to get rid of your possessions, and then come and follow me. But he didn't like that answer. And so Jesus then turns to his disciples, and he tells them, it's impossible. It's impossible for a rich man to make it to heaven. And that's scary when you think about it, right? Because we're rich. And you think to yourself, well, I'm not rich. Yeah, you are. I realize it's a subjective standard, but all of us in here are rich by a standard, right? If you have $5 in your pocket, if you have a little more than that in your bank account, if you have some spare change in a jar at home, that puts you among the top 8% of the wealthiest people in the world. 
We're rich. And it has the potential of killing us spiritually. Jesus says it's impossible. I mean, it's like trying to fit a camel through the eye of a needle. It can't happen, at least not with man. There is a way for the rich man to enter into the kingdom of heaven, but it's only with the help of Christ. Can you imagine Jesus turning to the rich young ruler and saying, what is your problem, son? You have all of this stuff that's not even yours to begin with, and you're going to let it keep you out of heaven? I can imagine him saying that to some of us. None of this is yours to begin with, and you're going to let it hinder you from following me? There is a way for a rich man to make it to heaven. I like how the Bible deals in contrasts. And you look over just a little bit and you see another rich man and his story. A man by the name of Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is one who represents the impossible. A rich man who made it to heaven. Because he was willing to do what the rich young ruler was not. After his encounter with Jesus, he says, that's not going to happen with me. I'll give back four times if I've defrauded anyone because it's not that important that I'm rich in an earthly sense. What's important is that I have what really matters, which is a relationship with Jesus Christ. The rich young ruler walked away sad. Zacchaeus, the rich tax collector, walked away rewarded. You see, cheapness is not a spiritual gift. Giving is not about rashing out a smidge here and there and then clinging to your abundance. That's not what giving is about. Far too many people give from the top of their purse rather than from the bottom of their heart. Giving is not about the condition of your bank account. It's about the condition of your heart. Giving excuses doesn't work in this situation. We can talk all we want about why we need this kind of money and why we need it here and we're planning for this and planning for that. And all that may be valid to some degree. But at the end of the day, it's a reflection of your heart. And we've got to ask some questions as we examine ourselves. Questions like, am I storing up treasures in heaven or am I storing up treasures here on earth? Am I giving cheerfully or willingly or am I giving out of obligation? Am I giving sacrificially or am I giving what I don't need to begin with? Where is my faith? Is it in God or is it in money? You see, stewardship is a lordship issue. It's not really about money or possessions it's all, at all. It's about who has your heart. What is your heart given to most? Where do your priorities lie? Your money, your stuff, or the one who has blessed you with your money or your stuff? Our giving is a direct result of who has our heart. Never let your wealth get in the way of your discipleship. It's like the 67-year-old man by the name of Russell Herman. He died in 1994, and his will contains some pretty interesting bequests. He left $2 billion to the city of East St. Louis. He left another billion dollars to the state of Illinois. He left $6 trillion to the federal government to settle the national debt. The only problem is, the only asset he had was a 1983 Oldsmobile. He made some pretty grand promises, but he had nothing to back it up. It's all about our attitude and about our heart. Our giving means nothing if we don't have the right attitude and the right heart. 
I mean, we can, we can write checks all day. We can give what we don't have all day, but what matters most is what we do with what we have and our attitude toward what we have. Another contrast to the rich young ruler, of course, is the poor widow woman who gave all that she had to the temple treasury. I find it both strange and beautiful that Jesus would use a woman who gave a gift so small in terms of monetary value as the pattern for our giving today. You think about it. Jesus tells his disciples and us in the process that we are to exalt her as the example for how we are to gift. She enters into the temple treasury without any praise or fanfare. She comes in very humbly without trying to draw attention to herself. She gives a very paltry donation, but in the eyes of Jesus, it was priceless, more valuable than any diamonds. It wasn't the amount she gave. It was the heart with which she gave, the attitude. She gave humbly, she gave cheerfully, and she gave out of love. And this entire episode brings something to light that we can't afford to miss when it comes to our giving. We tend to measure our contribution by the dollar amount that we give. God measures our contribution by how much we keep. It's easy for us to look at the story of this poor widow woman and say, was she really all that wise? I mean, was it really prudent for her to give everything she had? She would have been well within her right to keep at least one of those coins. And what does that say to us? Does that say that in order to be right with God, we've got to give our entire paycheck each week? Is that what that means? No, I don't think so. I think the point that Jesus is trying to make by propping this woman up as his example is that giving should be sacrificial. That giving should cost us something. God judges what we give by what we keep. The contribution of the rich folks, the Pharisees, cost them nothing because they had plenty to begin with. So what they gave didn't cost them anything because they still had hordes of it left. But this woman gave all she had, which meant that she was going to have to rely on God if she was going to have anything else for the next day. My friends, giving should hurt. And i got to tell you, when I wrote this sermon... When I typed those words, giving should hurt, I typed and retyped those words over and over again. I erased them several times because I didn't know if I really wanted to say that. Everything I preach, I try to live. I, I believe in it wholeheartedly or else I don't preach it or I try to come around to seeing, you know, how I can, how I can live this out better in my daily life. And this is something that I wrestle with. Do I really want to say to our congregation that giving should hurt? Because I don't know that it's really hurt me too much. Obviously, there have been times where I felt like it hurt more than probably it really did. But I cannot read the story of this poor widow woman and extrapolate from it what Jesus is trying to teach without reaching the conclusion that giving should hurt. There's got to be a sacrifice involved. And that's scary when you think about it, because if you're like me, I don't know that my giving always hurts. Yeah, I do. It doesn't always hurt. I know that. 
It's not always sacrificial. I always have a lot left over. It's not going to hurt me at the end of the day. But one undeniable fact that stands out boldly in the scriptures concerning giving is that giving includes a sacrifice. The point of the widow woman giving her two mites is this. It's not the amount that you give that's important. It's did you give all you could? Did you give out of your abundance? Or did you sacrifice? Is your faith in God or is it in money? These are difficult questions indeed because they hit us between the eyes and they force us to examine ourselves and examine our hearts. As I said, the wealthy gave out of their wealth. They weren't going to miss what they gave. Plus, they were only giving to bring attention to themselves in the first place. But in walks this poor widow woman. The fact that Mark used the word poor means that she was probably the poorest of the poor because there was not another kind of widow. They were all poor. But this was of the poorest of the poor, and she comes in and she gives all she had, meaning that she would have to trust God to meet her daily needs. It's like the man who was on vacation, he was strolling down the boardwalk, and he hears a a woman screaming, and he runs over, and he finds this woman trying to take care of her child. The child was turning blue, and the man looks at the child and notices that the child is choking on something. So he picks him up and holds him by the ankles, and he shakes him real hard, and two coins fall out. And the woman says, thank you so much. That was amazing. Are you a doctor? And he said, no, ma'am, I work for the IRS. And I think, I think sometimes, it, yeah, thank you. <laughs> I think sometimes in the church, there are some folks that you can pick them up by the ankles and you can shake them and you, you may get two coins, but that's about it, right? And believe it or not, I, I really understand that. I mean, it's hard. I mean, we've got so many things to prepare for and to think about in the future and we're thinking about retirement and we're thinking about just meeting our daily demands you know but you've noticed as well as i do the more money you make the more money you spend we're always going to find a place to put it at some point we've got to put god first not because he needs our money but because it shows something about our heart it's like the little old lady who had just finished shopping And she comes out to her car, and she finds four men sitting inside. And she immediately drops her groceries, pulls a gun from her purse, and holds it to him and says, Get out of my car. I've got a gun, and I'm not afraid to use it. And the four men do not wait for a second invitation. They hightail it out of there. So she puts her groceries in the car, and she gets in. But as hard as she tries, she can't get the key to fit into the ignition. Then it dawns on her that her car is actually parked four spaces down. So she goes and she gets in her car, she starts it up, she goes down to the police station and immediately tells the the man who's uh, behind the counter what all she had done, and the man just almost falls out of his chair laughing. And he points down to the end of the counter, and there are four men filing a report that some old lady had pulled a gun on them and hijacked their car. This woman was taking what wasn't hers to begin with. And we do that all the time. We take something that's not ours to begin with, and we cling to it like grim death. We're not letting go of it. We think it's ours when it's not. We're not owners of anything. We are merely stewards. This money that you have, it doesn't automatically become the Lord's money when you drop it in the collection plate. It was the Lord's money all along. That angry, sorehead member who says, you know, I'm, I'm not giving up my money a- until you make the decision that I want you to make or until you do what I, I tell you to do. That's not your money, sir. 
It belongs to the Lord. It always has. It doesn't magically become the Lord's money when you put it in the offering plate. Everything you have belongs to someone else. It belongs to God. Even your ability to earn that money is a blessing from God. To turn loose of our money is to turn loose of our security. And that's going to hurt. To turn loose of our money means that we might have to do without some earthly things, and that's going to hurt. To turn loose of our money means that we have to trust in God, and that's going to hurt sometimes. Our society values how much a person has, but God values how much a person gives. And here is the most important point of the story of the poor widow woman. Verse 41, and he sat down opposite the treasury and began observing how the people were putting money into the treasury. Are you like me? Does that not scare you a little bit? Think about that. It's a little frightening. Jesus came in and he sat down and he watched how everybody gave. Do you think when we gather here in the presence of our Lord to worship him that he doesn't look at our giving? I think absolutely he does, does he not? And not only does he look at our giving, he looks into our heart, which is even scarier, right? What does the condition of our heart say about our giving? And think about this. You ever wonder why God set it up this way? I mean, if he doesn't need our money, why did he set it up this way? Why, why would God make giving an act of worship? You ever think about that? Well, I mean, we know from Scripture there are a few reasons that make sense. I mean, after all, the Bible tells us that this is a place where there is no needy person, Acts 4 and 34. There shouldn't be any Christians without food to eat or clothes to wear, a roof over their heads. I mean, if a, if a person is able-bodied and can work, they should earn for their family to provide for his relatives, especially for the members of his own household. That's 1 Timothy 5, 8. We know that. But beyond that, we also have a responsibility to work so that we can provide for the needs of others, as Ephesians 4, 28 tells us. But we also know that Paul said the Lord commanded that those who proclaim the gospel should get their living by the gospel, 1 Corinthians 9, 14. So you support me and Blake and Jake and Stephanie and those who are involved in the work of the church, and we thank you for that. We give because we have been recruited to the cause. We should have a strong desire to support disciple-making here and abroad. But think about things a little deeper than that. Why would God set it up this way? I think he set it up this way because giving reminds us of who is in control. Giving reminds us of who has control of our heart. Every week that we give, every week that we write out the check or we place our money in the collection plate, it is a reflection of who we are on the inside. It tells something about our heart. Every week our contribution is a litmus test for what's on the inside. Are we giving out of obligation? Are we giving because we want to be a good little rule follower? Or are we giving willfully and cheerfully and in a way that is sacrificial because we want to turn loose of our security? We want to show where our priorities lie. We want to store up treasures in heaven instead of treasures here on earth. Our giving means a whole lot, but here's what it means most of all. Our giving is a response to the gospel. You ever think about that? Have you ever thought about how everything we do in life is a response to the gospel? Everything. If you are a New Testament Christian, 
everything you do is a response to the good news of Jesus Christ, and our giving is no different. You give out of the bottom of your heart because you are so thankful for what God has done in sending His Son to die that cruel death on that cruel cross so that you could have eternal life and live with Him eternally. Our giving is a response to the gospel. We are so thankful that giving of our money is just, just a side benefit. There are so many reasons we have to be thankful. We give our lives. What is it to turn loose of some of our money? I believe that God set it up this way to remind us also of who our God is. It's easy for money to be a God for people. It's easy for it to take the place of our faith. It's easy to find our trust and security in our money. And, and you think about all the times that Jesus approached the subject of money and man's relationship to money and possessions. God saw something that we need to pay attention to. And that is that money becomes an easy God for people. That so many times people bow down to the almighty dollar rather than the almighty God. And so when we give, we're turning loose of some of that security. When we give, it is a reflection of where our priorities lie. The response to the gospel. We are thankful. We want to give. We want to give of everything. But especially our money. That's easy, right? Money shouldn't have a hold on our heart. That's the question. Who has your heart? Is it God? Is it Jesus? Is it the almighty dollar? Is it the almighty God? Who has control of your heart? You know, there is a disease that probably kind of came into existence around 34 A.D. was made famous by two people a husband and wife team of Ananias and Sapphira. This couple suffered from a condition known as cirrhosis of the giver. And we see it over and over again in our society, people who are suffering from this malady. And if you don't know whether or not you have this disease, pay attention to your heart rate. When you give a sermon, when the preacher gives a sermon on giving, does your, does your heartbeat increase? Does your pulse rise? Your blood pressure go up. You become angry when they pass the collection trays. You get uneasy as you reach for your wallet. You break out in a cold sweat. Cirrhosis of the giver is a disease that does have a cure. First of all, the prescribed medication is frequent doses of Romans 12.1. Therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And then on top of that, you need a dash of 2 Corinthians 9, 7. Each one must do just as he has purposed in his heart, not grudgingly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And then you need a heaping tablespoon of Philippians 4, 19. And my God will supply all your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. My friends, don't let cirrhosis of the giver destroy your soul. Be a willing and cheerful giver. Don't allow your money or your stuff to keep you out of heaven. Don't make the mistake of the rich young ruler and allow your possessions, your stuff, to hinder you from going all in in a relationship with Jesus Christ. You know, Solomon was right in Ecclesiastes. At the end of the day, all this stuff you acquired, you're going to leave it to somebody else. 
You can't take it with you. Let's pray. Most kind and gracious Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be here this morning. We thank you for the opportunity to give. And while we know that money is just paper and coins to you, it's the heart that matters. We pray that we have a heart that reflects a willingness to give in all matters, not just monetarily, but in everything. May we keep you at the center of our lives, and may we do things according to the center of your will. Help us, God, to turn loose of that that, that we think provides us security and find our faith and trust in you always. It's in your son's precious name we pray. Amen. You know, we often talk about Jesus coming to this earth to turn the world upside down. I think he came to turn your world upside down, and I think he came to dethrone every illegitimate ruler on your heart. So if you have an illegitimate ruler in your heart this morning, whether it's money or anything else, get your priorities aligned, remove those things, dethrone them from your heart, and put God in his rightful place. If you're ready to put on Christ in baptism, let's do that this morning. If you're ready to set up a Bible study and learn what it means to be a follower of Christ, let's do that. If you're ready to turn your life around, you've not been living in a godly direction, then do that this morning. Whatever your need is, come now as we stand and as we sing.